Ephesians chapter 4. And um, I want to read uh, a few verses to you this morning. And um, we're not going to have time to, to comment on, preach, or teach from all of them. But it's the ones at the beginning and the one at the end that I want to make sure you connect together. They're, they're bracketing a lot of important stuff um, that we're lacking, and the Holy Spirit um, is breathing on right now for us as a family of faith. And um, so I'm not apologizing. Sometimes, you know, people read more than one verse. They almost apologize for reading a lot of verses. And, and I'm not here. I'm just, again, preparing you for that. And I'm going to put them on the screen. If you have your Bible to follow along with, obviously do that. Um, but I'm also going to put them on the screen. Amen. All right, so let's begin at Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. Now he's talking about our Jesus, amen? He's talking about our Jesus, amen? But he's also talking about what our Jesus did for us and what it now means to us, to our lives, to our future, to our destiny. Verse 11, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Look at me for a moment. I want to connect some things, and, and the part that we're really wanting to look at this morning is that he has given grace to you. He has given you grace, all right? Now, he said that he's given us grace in measure to Christ's gift. So there's a couple of ways for us to understand that, but what he's saying is that each one of us have been gifted or graced in different ways. You as an individual have been given by your Creator and by your Savior and by the Holy Spirit, all three, have given gifts to you. Okay, And since there's never been another human being identical to you, of all the billions of people that have ever existed on planet Earth, there's never been one identical to you. You are very unique. You are highly skilled and highly specialized. Okay, Amen. That's the word of the Lord to you this morning. And there's never been anyone who's, who's been quite gifted the way you're gifted by Jesus. That doesn't mean there aren't other people who can do what you do, but there's a whole lot of people who can't do what you do. So you are a very unique, highly specialized human unit. Amen. You're more than that. I'm not trying to talk about you like your inventory. But again, you are special. Come on now, you're special. Now, he says everyone has been given gifts by Jesus, and he gave some. He himself gave some. So not everyone in this definition of what these offices mean and what these words mean, not everyone is an apostle, but some are. Not everyone is a prophet, but some are. Not everyone is an evangelist, but some are. 
Not everyone have been gifted in the area of pastors and teachers, but some are. Now, if that's not one of the areas that you've been given a gift in, that doesn't mean that you have not been given grace, that you've not been given a gift. Okay? Now, let's see why he gave some to be, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying, that means to build or to build up, of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Not, notice, not till you come, but till we all come. Say all with me real aggressively, real confidently. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Till we all come to a perfect man. Till we all come to a perfect man. Wow, he's talking about all of us becoming one. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yes, he's talking about you and I measuring up to the head. A body fit for the head. A groom, a bride rather fit for the groom. Now don't get lost in these verses right here that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot for us to talk about there, but again, let me just give you this, this overview. He says that we've got to grow up into Jesus. And since Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he's talking about us growing up into the truth, among other things. And the more we grow up into the truth the less susceptible we are to being deceived, to believing a lie, to believing things to be true that are not true. This is one of the tremendous, not just characteristics of spiritual maturity, but it's one of the tremendous benefits. Because so much of the pain and misery that we have experienced in life has been because of deception. Because we believe things to be true that were not true. So the more we walk on the path, Proverbs 4 tells us, the more obvious the next step becomes. The more familiar we become with the ways of God, the more of His ways we're able to understand and apply to our lives. Truth gives way to more truth. Just like one lie makes the next lie easier. Are you with me this morning? Like if you tell one lie, then you wind up usually telling others. They're like lace potato chips. You can't tell just one because you wind up telling other lies to cover for the first lie. So one lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. But the good news is one truth leads to more truth. One way of God applied to your life positions you for the next ways of God to, to, to be applied to your life. And we're growing up, right? We're growing up. It's an upward call, and we're growing up. Amen. Now, I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's messages, but what we have in this, in these verses that we looked at, is the plan of God. We asked some questions, some really important questions last week. And, and one of those questions is, why are we here? And I mean, why are we here on planet Earth? Why did God create us? But also, why are we here this morning? Amen. And of course, what we see is if we go to the end of the book, if we go to the end of what we know. Now, is there more after this? Yes. 
And the Bible refers to that, but we don't have a lot of details on that, okay? But again, if we go to the end of the book, what began with God creating Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden ends in heaven at a wedding, at a marriage ceremony. And what I offer to you is that all of human history, from our creation to the end of what we have prophesied yet to come, has been about one primary thing. That is establishing, developing, and maturing the body of Christ. A body fit for our head, Jesus. A bride fit for our groom, Jesus. And notice, as important as you are to Him as an individual, a body fitting for Him cannot be accomplished by one person, by one human being. It's going to require a whole bunch of humanity, amen, coming together as one to measure up to the full stature of our head, Jesus. A bride fit for the groom, a body fit for our head. Amen. And so this is why, if we go back to, now let's go back up to where we started, um, and that would be in, uh, let's see, verse, let's start again at verse 7. But to each, of, to each one of us, Ephesians 4 and 7, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you get, uh, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, ascended, descended, which one? All right, so ascended means to go up. To go up. And so Jesus ascended. Are you with me this morning? This is really, really important. Jesus ascended. It's known as the ascension. All right? And there were many witnesses who witnessed him ascend. And what that means simply is this. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. He was crucified on Passover. Fifty days after Passover was something called Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost was another feast. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's why people who speak in tongues are often referred to as Pentecostals because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Pente means 50. Fifty days after Passover was Pentecost. Jesus was raised from the dead after three days. He did not vanish after appearing to a few people. But He remained alive in human form, but yet with a glorified body, for 40 days on planet earth. Was seen by thousands of people. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, the record history records that Jesus, in His resurrected glorified body, was seen by a crowd of more than 500 people at one time. And during those 40 days, the Bible says that He was teaching His disciples about things pertaining to the kingdom. His last words were for them to go and tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And then the Bible says He ascended. Superman ain't got nothing on this. He literally, they watched Him fly until He disappeared. I've shared this story many times, but when Bethany went on her first mission trip, she was 14, and Pam and I watched that plane take off. And we stood there in one another's arms, arms around one another, and we watched that plane until it disappeared. And then after that plane was gone, we sit there and stared into the sky in the last little dot where we saw it before it was gone, right? Praying under our breath in the Holy, in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so the same thing, they, this, you know, this was more than a, an airplane or a rocket ship. They watched Jesus 
and they were standing there staring up into the sky, looking at the point where they last saw him visible, when an angel said, hey, interrupted him, right? Got their attention. What are you doing standing here, staring at the sky? You got a job to do. Let's be about it, right? Let's get on with it, okay? Now that ascension, it doesn't just mean that he ascended, but if you really want to understand ascension, you've got to think royalty. Because when Jesus ascended, he ascended to a throne. He ascended to the throne of the universe. He ascended to the throne of the universe, and now from that throne of the universe, He is filling all things. Amen. He is filling all things until this earth is filled with His glory and knowledge like waters cover the oceans. And I believe that after His glory fills this earth, His glory is going to start filling other planets and other galaxies until the entire universe is filled with the glory of our Savior. Amen. Now, if you have a version of the Scriptures that does this, somehow, you know, lets you know, informs you that a passage is being taken from the Old Testament and quoted, then you probably already know from just looking at your text. Unfortunately, what we put on the screen, it, it only does it with quotation marks. So if you're looking at the screen, you'll notice in verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That verse 8 is being taken from a prophetic psalm. Psalm number 68 and verse 18 is where prophetically this was spoken, that this would one day happen. And of course, this is exactly what was fulfilled another one of these many, many things that was fulfilled by Jesus. That when He would ascend, go back to heaven, to the throne of the universe, that He would set the captives free, but also win a great victory over His foes in the process. And then He would give gifts to men. Right? Now there's two kinds of men. Lots of ways to make that point. But the two kinds of men that I want to draw your attention to this morning are the men who do not have a womb and the men who do have a womb. The men who do have a womb, we call them womb-men or women, okay? So ladies, you're not being left out here. When it says he gives gifts to men, that's men of both genders. Both men that are male in gender and men that are female in gender. Okay? Are you with me? So he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So now by the Holy Spirit, he says, now this, he ascended, Psalm 68, 18. What does it mean? But he also first descended. See, we say what goes up must come down. But this is reversed. Because Jesus was here to go up, because he was here to ascend, it could only mean one thing. Since he started out there, he had to descend to get here. Are you following what I'm saying? We love to talk about the great ascension. But in order for the great ascension to happen, there had to be the great descension. Jesus had to come here in the first place. And aren't you glad, amen, that he didn't just descend to earth level, but he descended beneath the surface of the earth 
He descended beneath the surface of the earth, going to death, hell, and the grave as our substitute, so that all who believe in His name can say this, He fills my soul with laughter because I'm not going to die. I've been delivered from death, hell, and the grave. Because my Jesus, who ascended before He was able to ascend, He descended, and when He descended, He didn't just descend as a man and born into this earth through the womb of a virgin, but He then lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and descended into the belly of the earth, where He set free the righteous dead, Matthew says, read about it in Matthew. Matthew says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, there were lots of people who had already died who were also raised from the dead with Him on that morning. There were people who had been dead for years seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. Wow. Wow! So when He gives us this talk about ascending, descending, ascending, coming, going, going back, it is an abbreviated way. Are you still with me this morning? It's an abbreviated way of communicating all that Jesus accomplished for us. Virgin birth, sinless life. In other words, what happened between the time of Him descending, descending into the belly of the earth, then ascending, right? For that matter, I don't want to confuse you. He came to the earth. He descended into the belly of the earth. He ascended to heaven to pour out His blood on the altar there. He then came back in a glorified body to the earth. And then He ascended to the throne of the universe. Remember, Mary wanted to touch Him after His resurrection and He said, you can't touch Me now. Because he was literally in a state of returning that blood to be poured out there. And it's that blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. First man created the image and likeness of God that was murdered on the earth. And his blood cried out from the earth for justice. Now Jesus' blood does not cry out for justice, but it cries out for mercy. Amen. And he poured that blood out there. I heard Pastor Joseph Prince say something that literally, because I wondered it too. I wondered it too. Why did that place, the Bible says that, that that area in heaven had to be purged, it had to be cleansed with the blood of Jesus. You ever read that in Hebrews? Am I the only one? You read that in Hebrews and you think, how in the world could something in heaven need to be cleansed? How on earth could something in heaven need to be purified or purged? He said, it, it, you know, he said, that just bothered me. It baffled me for years. And he talked about it. I've had these same experiences. He talks about the moment in time. He was talking, Pastor Joseph was talking about, he closed out a, a, a message preaching on a completely different subject. And when he was going back up the steps, if you've ever seen him preach, he'll kind of walk down there and then he'll walk back. He said he turned and he was walking back and he said the Holy Spirit said, because the spot where Lucifer used to stand had to be purged, had to be purged, had to be purified. <laughs> and then he said, because that place is purged, he can no longer come before the Father and accuse you. And of course, things started firing off in me, right? That's why 
he could go and accuse Job. And we say, what about Job, Pastor Mike? What about Job, right? Well, the very devil who accused Job before God, he can't even go to the spot that he used to stand. Satan used to, Lucifer, before he became Satan, used to serve in that holy place, right? And that's where he sinned. Mm. So he poured the blood out there, purged it all, then came back, then ascended to sit on the throne. And the Bible says that this sinless life, all of that was for us, as us. Man, you start preaching the gospel, it's hard to stop. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, ooh. So again, ascend, descend, ascend, right? All of that, all of that is speaking of the completed work of Jesus between Him coming, going to the belly of the earth, returning back and back, okay? All that He did for you and me. All that He accomplished in those efforts. It's an abbreviated way of communicating that. Now, why am I spending so much time pointing that out other than it's important? This, because this being communicated here in an abbreviated form is to provide the context for the verses that we just read, for the verses that followed. Jesus' death and all that it provided has positioned you and me now to fulfill our God-given destiny. Making an impossible destiny to fulfill now possible. All right. So, let's go back to verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given. This is important. The Bible plainly tells us, the Bible plainly tells us that if you'll humble yourself, God gives grace to the humble and that He gives grace to us in direct proportion to our humility and that there's even more grace available to receive and walk in than has yet been given, okay? So I'm not leaving any of that out. The Bible plainly tells us that. But here he's talking about something different. He doesn't say to each one of you grace will be given. If you want to humble yourself and keep on humbling yourself, he'll keep on giving you grace and more grace. Okay? But here he's talking about the grace that was released because of Jesus' completed work to all people. Amen. Are you with me? So because grace was given, past tense, you have been given grace. Now if you knew everything that meant, I'd have to try to get out here and direct traffic and slow you down, right? Okay, but I, I got it already. It's, it, it sounds kind of simple. So this morning, stop the presses. You have been given grace. Such a simple statement to communicate something that is so profound and so far-reaching. Father, that we would please help us better understand the eternal magnitude of what this means. 
I was going to say humor me, but this ain't about me. This is about the Lord and it's about all of us, okay? So humor the Holy Spirit this morning if you understand what that euphemism means. Tell somebody next to you, look them right in the face and say, you've been given grace. Come on now, tell somebody else. Stir it up. You've been given grace. You've been given grace. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but you've been given grace. You've been given grace. You may have heard it before and still don't fully understand what it means, but you've been given grace. I don't know what's troubling you this morning, but there's something that's more true than whatever's troubling you, and that is you've been given grace. And the grace that you've been given is bigger than anything that could ever trouble you in this life or the next because you've been given grace. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. means you've been given grace that He'll never take back. Oh, sweet Jesus. You've been given grace. Each one of us has been given grace. And here it says, grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right Now, here's where we could talk a lot, and we don't have time to talk a lot, so we'll do it later, okay? This ties back in with how we all have different gifts and talents. But it also is meant to provide a way for us to comprehend the amount and the magnitude of the grace and its impact on our lives that has already been given to us. So when it says we've been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, we could say it this way, in proportion to or in comparison to Christ's gift. Well, my goodness, what a gift! Are you following what I'm saying? It gives you some point of reference to understand the size, the scope, the far-reaching effect. Again, the word magnitude just keeps coming to the surface of my spirit. This is big, guys. This is big, gals. This is huge. The ability for someone to give to you I'm just naturally speaking here, is based upon the resources that they have. Somebody could love you enough to want to give you $10,000, but if they ain't got 50 bucks. But if somebody loves you and you need $10,000 and they want to give you $10,000 and they're a multimillionaire, see, they, they can give to you in measure according to or in proportion with what they have to give. So when we're talking about Him giving grace to you according to the measure of His gift, right? So if you've got a, you've got a rich uncle who's a multimillionaire, but he's stingy, and he's never given anybody a dime, but let's say on the other hand, you've got a rich uncle who's a multimillionaire and just the greatest joy of his life is given. And he's given total strangers $100,000 and all you need is his offspring or his relative 10. 
See, again, there's, there's proportion here. What he's basically saying to us is to understand the grace that you've been given, you've got to understand something about the size of the gift that's already been laid down. Now, if a bill is due on the first of the month and the bank gives you 15 days to pay before it's late, what do we call that? Call that a grace period, don't we? Well, it would be grace according to the measure or equal to that of other banks and financial institutions. In other words, that's grace given to you, but it's, a, it's common. It's, it's on par with, it's commiserate to, or, 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 or what's the right word? It's, it's equal to what others offer according to that same measure. Are you following what I'm saying? If you found a bank that would let you, you know, 60 days late with no penalty, 60 days of grace, well, that would, that would be extreme, right? That would not be in measure or in proportion to what others offer. You follow what I'm saying? So he's, he's trying to help you and me understand. Most of what we understand about grace is what we have experienced from other people. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So we think of God's grace... If we're not careful, we will think of it being given to us in the ways that other people show us grace. He didn't say according to the measure of your rich uncle. He didn't say according to the measure of mom and them. He didn't say that he's going to give you grace like other people on planet earth have showed grace to you. He's given it to you in proportion to his gift. I'm going to finish right here, I promise. So this word grace, the word is actually charis in the transliteration of the Greek. I'm going to put these on the board for you in just a minute, okay? On the screen. Let me talk to you first. Though. The word charis is the word translated grace and simply defined, simply defined, it means unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It's where somebody's just good to you, kind to you. They, they bless you. Not because you've worked for them and they paid you, just because they just wanted to and they could and, and they did. That's grace, okay? God is a God of grace because God is love and grace is God expressing His true nature and character. It's who He is and He can't help Himself. He loves you. All right? He's a God of grace. Now, there's another word, and I'm going to put them both on the screen now. Charis. And then we have, notice it's spelled the same with the exception of the M-A on the end. Now, you're going to recognize this word, charisma or charisma. All right? Now, that's our English word, charisma. This is Greek. We're still in, the, we're still in Greece now, Okay? Anytime you take a Greek word and put M-A on the end of it, you might as well say the result of. Are you still with me? Everybody still with me? So when we say that God's grace, that's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor that He extends to you, the result of His grace in your life is charisma. Charisma. All right? Now, Charisma in other places we see 
It's actually translated gift. Okay, so who's ever heard of a charismatic believer? Three of us, okay. You, we, maybe I'm not through yet after all. No. Them folks down at Heritage, they're a bunch of charismatics. And we think, what in the world does that mean? Well, that means we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are a result of God's grace, His charisma, His gifts, His gifts of the Spirit, the charisma of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. It's a result of God's grace, something He gave us that we didn't earn, deserve, buy, pay for, live up to. He blessed us with grace, a grace gift, charisma. Are you with me? Because you have been given charisse, you now possess charisma. Now that doesn't mean go get involved in multi-level marketing and sales. You, you know, so we think of somebody who has charisma. Man, he's, he's energetic. Boy, he, he, you have to walk twice as fast to keep up with him. Or we think of somebody who's energetic or somebody who has an outgoing personality or what have you. No, 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 no. See, that's the, you're, you're English, Englishizing it, whatever. You're, making, you're trying to understand it from an English perspective. To possess charisma means that you've got things to offer because of you receiving grace. So, three quick things. We'll come back to these later. Grace equips. Grace enables and grace empowers you. God's grace is not static and must be understood as being more than an idea or a principle. God's grace is a force as powerful as the source from which it comes. So charisma is referring to the gifts, talents, abilities, potential, skills, and resources you have now because you've been given grace. I'll finish here. Because of God's grace, you now have something to give, something, to benef something of benefit to offer the world, something other people need. Singers, musicians, if you would please come. Because of God's grace, you now have something to give, something of benefit to offer the world, something other people need. It's always a little, oh, thank you, Jesus, challenging to talk about these things in this context, but I'm going to do it because I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to do it, okay? Has this sermon helped you at all this morning? All right, okay. So let me tell you what that means. It doesn't mean that I'm a great preacher. It means that you have benefited from a charisma in my life. I can, I can stand in front of people and break down the scriptures to them in a way that they can understand and apply it to their lives, not because I'm really smart, not because I put in so much time studying. I do study, don't misunderstand me, okay. I'm able to do it because I have been given grace. Are you following what I'm saying? I've been given grace to do this, and that grace 
is an active force in my life that equips me to do it, enables me to do it, empowers me to do it. I have something to offer. I have something to give. I have something that other people need. I'm not full of myself. Please hear me. That's not me like, oh, you better not forget it either. No, no, just hear me. Only because I've been given grace. Only because I've been given grace. It seems like Jesus is something like, like this. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. So you remember that last verse we looked at? Verse number 16? Talking about you doing your share. King James Version says it better. I like it. King James here. You offering to the body your supply. You've been given grace, charis. You now have gifts, abilities, talents, potential, charisma. When you offer that, you've got stuff people need. And it's only when you offer what you've been given to the rest of us and the rest of us offer, you follow what I'm saying? That's what causes church growth, that healthy church growth. That's what causes growth both in maturity and in attendance. Participation. Amen. All those who are serving communion, if you would come, and I'm going to pray as you do. Father, thank you for the things that we're hearing this morning. Thank you for the things that you're breathing on for this family of faith. Thank you, Father, that you're stirring these things up in our hearts and in our lives, and you're revealing truth to us. Father, thank you for all the grace that's been given and all the grace that's been received by the men and women in this room. Thank you, Father, because they've been given grace that they now have the ability. They, ha they now have things to offer. They now, Lord, can do things to help other people and serve other people that will make your body stronger and more mature and larger, Father, both here and around the world. So, Father, I thank you that we're not going to sit on our supply anymore. But, Father, we're going we're to give to others what you have given to us. We're going to serve our gift to the world. And I thank you, Father. Lord, that your people and this world will be transformed and, and you will be glorified because of it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, they're coming to serve you.